We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like the police officer from the famous Casablanca meme, the Premier League is shocked, shocked to find out there was impropriety at Chelsea. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can bot me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, everybody. Yeah, the Premier League is, is stunned, stunned by the news that was broken that there may have been further impropriety in Chelsea in the way that they were running their business, the way they were acquiring players, the transfer fees were paid. And, and what do you know? It, it may have given Chelsea an unfair advantage. I, for one, am shocked to find... Uh, impropriety at this establishment run by Roman Abramovich, who was pretty open about the way that he acquired his money and the way he used his money for personal gain. So uh, all very shocking news. There may be bigger news around whether the Premier League does anything about that. I think you only need to cast your glance as far as the 120 plus charges at Manchester City, which have resulted in seismic uh, changes to their, no, sorry, resulted in nothing. It's resulted in nothing, it says here, uh, to have a hint at what might happen. So we're going to have a fun pod today. We're going to answer some of your questions. We've got some, I think, fun hypotheticals to go into, some transfer stuff, some Martin Elliott striker stuff, some yelling at Brazil stuff, which we've got the perfect guy on for that job. But I do want to let you know, Tim and Clive did an amazing podcast. They call it One Club. It's Patreon Pod. It is uh, a women's Arsenal women's pod that I think is great because not only does it cover you know, some topics in depth in a way that you actually you know, get really good information and good analysis. But I think it's approachable whether you are a keen observer of the Arsenal women or would like to just become a keen observer or be more interested in the Arsenal women. We got a couple other things, though. One of my favorite things we do all year over on Patreon is Matt Giant Gooner's data review. He has access to non-public side data that he shares with us as we review the season so far, so you can get a sense of where we are, especially vis-a-vis last season. We're going to be doing a new thing, AVP EVP. It's not Alien versus Predator. It's Elliot versus Paul. We're going to take topics sourced by you. We're going to flip a coin to see which side we have to be on. And Paul and I will go head-to-head debating as uh, as completely as possible where each of us has to take the other side and make the strongest argument for the other side. So the nice thing, though, by flipping the coin is we're not just going to lean on our priors. We're going to have to steel man the argument that we are, have assigned to us. So that should be good. Plus, 
Power rankings should be out tomorrow. So there is a lot of content to get you through a very fallow period other than, you know, the whole international football thing, should you choose to care about that. Here with me now, uh, that was record time getting rid of all that admin, is Tim I'm on Twitter, at Stominator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How are you coping at this difficult time with Arsenal fans <laughs> uh, having to express outrage and indignation at the Brazil national team? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can give you the context around that now if you like. Um, um, yeah, why don't we just, do- we might as well. So I, I broached the topic, we might as well. Yeah, but for yeah. anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, obviously, Gabriel Jesus, uh, the assessments of our doctors, not sufficient, needed to fly to Brazil, needed to be assessed, uh, and is training and may play. Uh, so that is the preamble. Why don't you tell me more accurate information and why I shouldn't be so outraged at the Brazil national team? Yeah, I mean, first of all, their last international break there, they're playing World Cup qualifiers um, for 2026. For people who don't know, Conmebol is much tougher than certainly the UEFA equivalents where you'll end up with like a San Marino or a Liechtenstein or something if you're a big country. Doesn't happen in Conmebol. All of the countries go in one big league and even the bad ones are still like... Some of them play in places where it's difficult to get a result. So on paper, Ecuador aren't amazing. They're good, but they play in Don't Quito. They play like 140,000 miles above sea level or whatever. Exactly. They play in Quito, which is very, very far above sea level. And Boliv- Bolivia are bad. They don't pick up any points away from home because they're bad. But at home in La Paz, where they're <laughs> roughly 3 million feet above sea level, <laughs> it's, it's quite a hard place to go. So long story short, South American qualifying is difficult. And for Brazil, the last break did not go well. They didn't get the points they needed, basically. So they, this is a really, really big double header. And that's the other thing about the qualifier. It's like a series of double headers, basically. And this well, time, even if got- it had gone well, Argentina, you have to win yeah. that game, right? It, it, regardless yeah. of what's at stake, and there's something at stake this time. It, exactly that, exactly that. So the um, the manager, who's another interim manager, so Chite, uh, the coach um, up to the 2022 World Cup, his contract ran up to the 2022 World Cup. He didn't win the World Cup in two attempts. So, um, I mean, he jumped before he was pushed. His His actual resignation kind of speech was... It's a waste of time me pretending I'm going to be offered a new contract, even though he was actually a very good coach overall, I think, for Brazil. But anyway, they still haven't, a year on, found a permanent replacement. That's part of the reason they're struggling in qualifying, because they're on their second interim. They thought they might get Carlo Ancelotti, so they were kind of waiting for him, but not sure whether that's going to happen. So they're in this holding pattern, basically. This is their second interim. He's actually quite a good coach. Mm. Um, and he's noticed that Gabriel Jesus is quite good at football, which the previous interim coach was rubbish and didn't realise that Gabriel Jesus was good at football, and therefore that actually had an advantage for Arsenal. So basically he gave a press conference, uh, I think yesterday, where he basically said, look, Jesus will not go to Colombia, um, who they play on Friday, said he won't travel, he's not going to be fit enough for that game, but on Tuesday they're at home to Argentina, and they're hoping he can play a part in that. And for, and and that's a massive game. Like you said, it's a derby anyway, but they really need the points. And they've got injuries. So Neymar is injured. Anthony um, has kind of made himself unavailable by uh, uh, some quite unpleasant reasons. Um, Richarlison 
believe it or not, has been playing as their striker for the last couple of years. He's not available either. So they are coping with injuries in attack as well. So it's a mixture of the fact they really need the points. This coach loves Gabriel Jesus. He was talking about him and he was talking about the previous international games where he said, basically, we played really badly, but Gabriel Jesus played really well because he's that type of player, as we've seen as Arsenal fans, that... His performance is almost independent of the wider team because of the type of player he is. And actually, he's the type of player who makes your team play well. So kind of what he's saying is, I'm an interim coach. I haven't really had a lot of time to get my ideas across. So I need a player like that. So it's, it, all of that is bundled up in it. And they are hoping, he, he's not travelled to Colombia, so they're hoping that he can play some part on Tuesday. Mm. Well... I can tell you what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Hoping, this is what's hard, right? We're we're between a rock and a hard place with what to root for here because I'm obviously hoping for him to not play, mm. but the only way he's not going to play a part is if he's not fit enough. And him not being yep. fit enough is not an awesome sign for us coming out of the international break. So maybe the best thing is he's fit enough to play a part they still don't feel they want to start him for whatever reason. He mm -hmm. plays a bit, and that puts us in a good position for him to actually be more ready to play after the international break because he gets some football under his belt. Yep, could be. The The other additional bit of context here as well, sorry, is that um, I, I mentioned that Chite went after the World Cup. Chite and Edu, best buds, <laughs> worked together, Corinthians and the Brazil national team. So do you remember last September when Chite came to an Arsenal game and all of a sudden all three Arsenal players were not called into a squad for the September qualifiers? Because Edu kind of, you know, sat him down in the director's box and was like, maybe you don't want to do that. Um, obviously, Edu doesn't have that level of relationship with the current Brazil coach. I'm sure he knows him and I'm sure they have a decent relationship, but Edu and Chite are like, best friends so with that that's a bit of a relationship we've lost yep um okay so i think we can sort of leave it at that except to say there were a lot of questions you know we were going to do a bit of a mailbag here but we want to cover the headlines as well and there were a lot of questions tim from people asking does something need to change about the way clubs and national teams engage and I have to admit there were more sort of pro-international football takes than I was expecting. The sort of heat of people defending the right of FAs to, to have access to players. I think, I feel like we have a conversation about this every year over one player or another, which is essentially the fact that the clubs drive a lot of interest in global football, which helps FIFA immensely. The clubs pay the overwhelming majority of the wages to players and then really do not have any say whatsoever in what happens from there. As an American, the thing that I can say is I grew up in American sport where, you know, the teams that pay these players have profound decision-making power over anything they can do in their life, right down to snow skiing and things like, you know, there are provisions, all kinds of provisions in the contract. The idea that another organization would be able to just borrow their players and use them in the middle of a season is unconscionable. It's unthinkable. It, would, it simply wouldn't happen. So I'll admit culturally, it, it's been a difficult adjustment for me, even these many, many, many years later, to accept that this is what happens. And I do wonder if that tension, you know, is all tied up, all bound up in 
any kind of effort to break away from FIFA as the organizing body that has control over how the clubs operate and the FAs that authorize the clubs to operate. It is a weird sort of dichotomy because the organization of club football is not really in control either of its players or the laws of its game. It is a very strange arrangement that we've all just sort of normalized to. How do you, as someone who's gr- grown up with it and for whom it probably doesn't seem as weird, do you see any mm. of that weirdness and do you see that as becoming more incompatible over time? So definitely there's a tension and, and it is kind of weird as well because in other English sports like cricket, in cricket, like um, county cricket, like you lose your players to England while there's county cricket going on and no one really complains about that because everyone recognises that international cricket kind of drives all of the interest and, and everything like that. I think I think there are two things and one of them, I'm sorry, I'm going to take you on a segue because I've been waiting for weeks love to it. talk about this. Um, first of all, I do think that the national teams do have a right because as much as it's right that the clubs pay them, the national FAs basically produce the players in the first place. And it particularly if you're, you know, like let's say in the days of Didier Drogba, Ivory Coast, of course he's not going to play in the Ivory Coast League. Like never, not even when he was retiring, he went to Turkey in the US. Like mm. he's never playing in that league. So first of all, those fans have a right to see him play. And that FA has a right to get some use out of this player. And it's the same with the South American countries. It's a big part of the reason the South Americans are very, very, like Jesus, I promise you Jesus wants to play against Argentina. And not just because he's a competitor, but because it matters to him. And one of the reasons it matters so much to these players is because they know, like Jesus left Brazil when he was 18. He's not going back till he's like, he'll do a year at Palmeiras when he's 36 and can barely walk. So he'll have like two years in Brazil in his whole career. So for him and loads of other players like him, that is a big, big thing to be able to go back and play for your country and give back. Mm. So there, there is that element to it. The, the, so I, you know, obviously there is a tension and I, I know like in England, we view it through a very, England is a big country with a big footballing tradition and we play UEFA and UEFA qualifiers. Frankly, a lot of them are because of the geography of um, Europe uh, since the Second World War. Lots of like minnow footballing countries, um, essentially. So we look at it and we go, England, San Marino, do I want Bukayo Saka playing in that? No. And I, and I think there's a lot of, like I identify with that, but when it comes to Gabriel Jesus playing in Brazil, Argentina, I understand that he will he will walk through doors to play in that game, and most players uh, from those type of countries will. What you say about America there? This is where I'm going to take it on a bit of a segue because I listened to a really good podcast recently, and I've been waiting for a chance to broach this on a, on the podcast. And why not do it during an interlow? But what you were saying there about US culture, the the podcast I listened to talked about, um, you know, the decision to give the World Cup to Saudi Arabia. And it was an athletic podcast and their football business correspondent, Matt Slater, was on it. Matt Slater's very, very good, knows his stuff. And he was talking about the fact that, like, FIFA really like now 
putting World Cups in effectively kind of totalitarian or not democratically in the way that we recognize in the West elected kind of I places. this as well. Yeah, keep going, please. Yeah, yeah. And he talked about how hosting in the US or at least partially in the US, the next World Cup is a pain in FIFA's ass because in America, like money is king, okay? So when FIFA say, oh, you can't negotiate um, a soft drink sponsor because we have a partnership with Coca-Cola. You can't negotiate a software sponsorship, uh, uh, sorry, a sportswear sponsorship because we have Adidas. What do you think American businessmen say to that? They say, okay, we're renegotiating the contracts then because we want to get the most amount of money. Like free market is king, mm. baby. And, uh, and like even stuff like where games are being played, you know, like, like, because we've got Stan Kroenke at the moment to bring it to Arsenal, mm -hmm. he's threatening to withdraw the SoFi Stadium because FIFA boasts about how much money they make from World Cups. Again, what do you think American billionaires who own these stadiums are saying when they say FIFA saying we're going to make like twelve billion from this World Cup? What do you think Stan Kroenke is saying? He's going, "What? Where's my cut? <laughs> yeah, you're going to use my stadium to make that much money? Mm -hmm. Like, no." And the thing is, in America. As much as, you know, growing soccer and everything, these stadiums, like what do you think Stan Kroenke will say? He'll go, boo-hoo, I've lost Argentina versus Iran in a group game. I'll get Taylor Swift to do five nights here mm. and we make the money. So maybe give us the World Cup final. And it's the same in, you know, in the MetLife in New York, New Jersey. They're like, give us the, the, cup give us the World Cup final. Otherwise, we're taking away our group games because I can get Bruce Springsteen to play here mm. and we'll sell more tickets <laughs> with Bruce Springsteen. You know what they can't do? They certainly can't sell any tickets for the Jets or the Giants. So that, that's one thing they can't do. Anyway, go ahead. So, yeah. So Matt Slater was kind of saying actually hosting in America, according to American free market principles with American billionaires in a country that's already built up and therefore doesn't really need FIFA is, is actually a big pain in their ass. So I think that's – sorry, I thought that was – a, a decent point, as, as decent a point as I was ever going to get to bring that in. Yeah, no, it, it was really interesting. By, and by the way, there, one other thing I'll point out that is also a pain in their ass for, you know, not hosting in totalitarian nations is the municipalities themselves maybe not giving FIFA what they want, right? Like, uh, we want you to make all the public transit free for that weekend. Yeah. Or we want, you know, we want you to stop all traffic through the city except for football traffic. Like, New York City is not going to do that, you know, Los no. Angeles. But like, Riyadh might. You know, yep. or Dubai might, you know, it's it's easy for them to get an authoritarian leader to control every aspect of, of society. Yeah. No, I, and when FIFA say we want all of our people to not pay tax for three months when we're over there, again, probably an easier conversation to have yeah. um, than it is in America. And and this is I think the interesting thing is there was a more provincial aspect to club football for many, many years, right? Small owners, clubs were owned by their little sort of a wealthy local citizen you know, or a group of citizens, yep. but now they're owned by oligarchs, by states, by billionaires who might as well be oligarchs or states themselves in terms of the power they can exert. And FIFA is up against, for lack of a better way to put it, something more that more closely approximates an equal in terms yep. of bargaining power and political will and things like that. And that, that changes the calculus of, of how this debate and discussion can be had. So one to keep an eye on, um, 
not one that I think we need to go any further on in this episode. No. <laughs> uh, but I will just pull you up on one thing. You said that Gabriel Jesus will walk through doors to play for Brazil. Uh, it's quite easy to walk through a door. So, I, you know, I think if he wants to prove himself, he should walk through a wall. A, or a locked else. door. Okay, there you go. There you go. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I walk through doors all day and no one's offered me a place for the Brazil national team or any have national you, team. For that matter. Have you seen the movie Inside yet with Willem Dafoe? No, if if not, if not, I recommend it. But like he gets locked, he tries to steal some art from a New York mm-hmm. penthouse and he gets locked inside by the security system like that, that kind of door heavily reinforced title makes a lot more sense now. Um, okay. So uh, while we're on the Brazil national team, we had some questions about this. I might as well bring it up. There's a bit of a news story slash rumor rolling around that for one of these games, Gabriel Martinelli might get a run out at center forward. Um, I, for one, think that's a great idea because I would like him to potentially get a run out at center forward for Arsenal. Uh, do you think there's any veracity to these stories? Could it happen? And could it happening maybe be a, a little bit of a poke at Mikel Arteta to consider it? I mean, we've seen Martinelli take up central positions during periods of the game, so I don't want to pretend that he's never really done it for Arsenal because, as we know, positions are a bit fluid for us anyway. But what do you think of that development? And, and firstly, is it is it even... Um, real or is that just uh, rumor floating around it, it could be because of the shortages they have um they had been playing neymar as a kind of false nine yeah they'd much prefer to play gabriel jesus they'd much prefer to play richarlison so actually they are like brazil have been short of strikers um for quite a long time and then jesus and firmino kind of came along at the same time and firmino's not really in the mix anymore so they they, they do have without Jesus in particular, a bit of a shortage there. So it could be. It, it's definitely for the national team. It's uh, it's like Martinelli would have a clearer run at that position than he would the wide positions because they're like Brazil are just stacked at wide forward. So it, it could be. I think that he, he works in there when there is like a wide forward willing to interchange as well. So I think Martinelli up front with like Trossard on the left, for example, and those two swapping, I think that kind of works much in the same way that when we played Alexis Sanchez up front, I think the thing that really made that work other than Alexis Sanchez being really good was having Theo Walcott on the right wing. So actually you've got like a wide player who wants to wander into the box and wants to take up central positions. So for, for, for Brazil, that, that could certainly happen for Arsenal. I like basically when Martinelli and Trossard play together, I consider them a very movable feast anyway. So if you cast your mind back to March when we played Fulham and Trossard got three assists um, playing nominally as a false nine, but actually what happened was two of those assists were wide deliveries for Martinelli in the middle. So like they swapped over. So I think Martinelli can play that role if so long as he's got a winger that's willing to do that kind of that kind of swapping yeah. of positions. Yeah. I, we don't need to go big on this. I thought it was interesting. I think that's, you know, that covers it about as much as needs to be covered. Obviously, the center forward debate has less heat around it if we have a fit Gabriel Jesus back after the international break. So if this was a situation where Jesus was going to be out longer term, which hopefully is not the case, I think there'd be more reason to go deeper on this. But as as I think, hopefully, given the fact that he's potentially going to play for his national team, we might be moving into a period where we have some uh, relief in that position. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, one of the hot topics right now, I, I alluded to it in my introduction, 
we should touch on it. And we did get questions about it. Arsenal View on Twitter at Arsenal View underscore asked, what is the right punishment for the Chelsea City financial shenanigans? Points penalty restricts the liability to one year, which doesn't dismantle the empire they built. Maybe a salary cap for five years, meaning like just for those clubs. Let's leave the city part out of it. Let's talk the Chelsea part. There was never any debate that they were skirting FFP, that they were financially doping, but these new allegations are pretty ugly. And the one that sticks out that's getting a lot of attention is the 7 million euro payment to Eden Hazard's agent, who then weirdly uh, vetoed a move to Arsenal and, and moved his player to Chelsea. I think what makes it even more difficult than the City ones is you don't even have the same owner there now. So mm-hmm. you have a guy in Todd Bowley who may rightly be able to say, wait a minute, I've already been punished because the amount I had to pay for the club was elevated by its success, which was from financial doping. If you punish me, I'm being punished twice. I paid a higher value for the club than I would have, right? If you had punished them under Abramovich and they were in the championship or you know wherever the case may be, and I'm being punished again now that I own them. It does complicate it. And we know the Premier League, love, Premier League loves nothing so much as sticking your head in the sand, ignoring it, and hoping it all blows over. So my instinct is nothing will happen. But what, if anything, should happen? And what's your general reaction to the news? Yeah, my general reaction is not one of surprise whatsoever. Basically, the only Arsenal men's transfer ever had any insight in, well, it didn't turn out to be a transfer. It was one matter. Mm. And uh, Juan Mata with Valencia, deal was done with Arsenal. And then I, I remember arguing with loads of Arsenal fans at the time because he basically went to Chelsea for basically the same price. Mm. And everyone was like, oh, why couldn't we up it another couple of million? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Chelsea paid a very, very, very big agent fee for that mm. transfer. That's why that got hijacked. And look, I don't you know, I don't know whether there's any impropriety over that in particular, but that was happening. I, I think the first thing to say is my feeling on this is nobody is surprised and it is an enormous indictment on the Premier League and everything else that they let this happen. And I use that word very advisedly. They let this happen. There is no chance that they did not know or suspect something of this level was happening and they chose to turn a blind eye and one of the reasons um, people can get away with this in football is because it's also tribal so at the time when Arsenal fans are kind of saying hmm this doesn't seem this doesn't seem right everyone's goes oh you're just jealous um, or then you get a faction of Arsenal fans like oh you're just using it as an excuse you know for Wenger or not to compete like very different this this is how these people can get away with it because football there's there's a million there's a million foot soldiers for these people to go into bat for them indirectly and rebuff the conversation and you know you know it kind of reminds me of as well and, and I think a lot of journalists bear responsibility for that as well you know hand wave it you're just jealous it's just fans being jealous and I do think there is something about a relationship but between a lot of, not all of, a lot of the media and fans and are kind of looking mm. down on fans and you're all just tribal idiots. And to some extent, that's true. We sure. are. I know but, I am. <laughs> but at the same time, that doesn't mean we're always talking nonsense and we're always talking out of self-interest and things like that. I mean, obviously, we're motivated by self-interest. That doesn't mean you're wrong, though. No. <laughs> you, can, you can be motivated by self-interest and be very correct, but there, there's kind of an air of permissiveness. It, it reminds me 
a little bit of the kind of Arsenal don't like it up them. And um, obviously that's very specific to Arsenal and Chelsea didn't just do this to Arsenal. They did it to the rest of the league. I do think we were probably one of the biggest quote unquote victims, but you know, it reminds me of that kind of when you point it out, people just say, Oh, you're, you're just whinging. You're just crying and all of that. So there's that part to it that we have a league that is letting this happen. And on the same day, you've got Manchester city, releasing their financial results and saying, we've got the biggest revenue record ever. profit, record yeah. profit. Oh, congrats to them on running their business yeah. so effectively. <laughs> and wow. like the owner doesn't even mention, um, you know, the 115 charges that they're currently fighting. And on the same day, you've got all of this coming out. And and again, I, I, you know, I've, I've had a bit of a go at sections of the media, but we should also point out this is not the Premier League that have dug this up. It is journalists. It's an investigation mm-hmm. by, um, to be reductive, I'd call the good part of the media, as it were. Like people doing the Premier League's. For me, that just means fan created content. So it, 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 exactly. Was it fan created content? Yeah. We, we're the good guys, <laughs> yeah. um, obviously. Are we the goodies? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like. You know, this this has come as a result of an investigation, uh, a journalistic investigation. And look, I, I don't think um, it would take much if you were an investigative journalist and you knew where to dig for these things. I don't think it would take much to say, hmm, Abramovich is Chelsea. Let's look into some of that. Um, so, you know, th- there's a real air of permissiveness. As for the punishment, I mean, I, I don't think there is like a perfect punishment for this. Um, I was in favour of stripping Chelsea of all their titles until I looked at the 2016-17 Premier League table, um, <laughs> which has Chelsea first and Tottenham second. There's so, that tribal idiot that you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in the spirit of um, complete objectivity and fairness, I think that's the only trophy Chelsea should be able to keep. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, I think, and also that because there are other things, right, which I believe Todd Bowley and Clear Lake have kind of declared um, on the books. I, I can't remember exactly what that involves, but they essentially, I mean, clearly when they bought the place, they looked at some books. And as you do when you buy a company, I mean, really, you do it before you buy a company, I guess, but there we go. And there was a kind of, oh, <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, And, you know, in the UK, we have uh, the Bribery Act, uh, which basically says if you don't – I'm really being reductive here and better legal minds than mine can go into more detail than this. But the Bribery Act in the UK basically says if you are aware of, like, impropriety and you don't report it – whether it's by you or a previous owner or whoever, then you are culpable, essentially. So mm. UK fraud legislation <laughs> means if you don't if, if you become aware of that stuff and you don't report it, you're treated as if you did it. Um so, you know, like I, I believe Chelsea have declared some stuff around that. So that you know, there's all of that. I mean, personally, I don't give a fig about the owner <laughs> and what he paid for and everything like that. I think like um you know, a points deduction, uh, a multi-window transfer ban, a salary cap, any and all of those things. Like, I, I'm not just saying this because I don't like Chelsea. I'm saying it a bit because I don't like Chelsea and I want the book thrown at them. But, like, it's not just that this is quite serious stuff. The league 
has to make it clear that they've changed as well. Mm-hmm. This They should consider this self-reporting. They should be saying, do you know what? We messed up because we let this happen on our watch. We probably could have could have done something about it, but we didn't. So now we have to make a very clear message, you know, as much for the future as anything, that this is not acceptable and, yeah, and make a bit of an example of them. I, I tend to think, listen, I want them thrown into the National League. I want all of their players to be taken off them and blah, blah, blah. But realistically, I think a points deduction and some kind of restricted transfer or wage spending. But I suspect Chelsea had an inkling that this was coming and that has formed part of their transfer um, kind of splurge thus far where they've just kind of gone, let's do three years worth of transfer business now, 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 and now in case we get a transfer ban. Yeah, I mean, I I confess that while I have no love for Todd Bowley or Chelsea that the change in ownership does complicate things for me intellectually, mm-hmm. that like the wrongdoing of the previous regime is being, the, the punishment is being levied on the new regime. And while the organization, this is where you say like, well, it's the organization that did it, right? But there's a new owner and the owner, that owner didn't do it. He's doing other stupid shit right now. But so I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I obviously I agree with you. I'd like to see them thrown out of football forever and and have the men in black neuralizer thing done so we forget <laughs> they were ever here. Um, but I don't know what the right thing is. And in terms of a points deduction, they're doing a pretty good job giving themselves a points deduction. So, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, maybe we just let them carry on. Um, obviously, obviously, I'd be fine with a points deduction. I think the problem with not punishing them is. It's just reinforcing the idea that this is a league and an organization that has no ability or no uh, willingness to enforce its rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just, again, putting the cat amongst the pigeons, right? I mean, it's saying to yeah. Newcastle's ownership and City's ownership, carry on. We're never, yep. ever going to do anything, no matter how red-handed you're caught. And they're, they're, we're led to believe throwing the book at Everton um, over FFP with a potential 12-point deduction as well, which could be disastrous for them. That could send them down. Mm-hmm. I kind of think it won't because I think the three promoted teams are so bad that Everton will... It, like if, there, if there was a season to get a 12-point deduction, this was probably it. But And Everton are quite light, lucky because actually they're pretty decent this season. Like if that had happened mm-hmm. last season, they'd be down for sure. Yeah, obviously. yeah, yeah. But... And, and I think part of that as well is because clubs had come to this attitude where they could see that like um, not adhering to FFP results in a fine. And a lot of these clubs are like, cool, we'll just take that as a business cost of competing, quite frankly. So we'll go over FFP, we'll get a slap on the wrist and the fine, we'll pay the fine, and we just consider that the cost of competing. And I think a lot of the thinking behind throwing the book at Everton is we want to put a stop to that, and that's fair enough. But you've got to show the same thing to the guys at the other end of the table. Of course you do. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. And, and let me say this, they're staring another one of these situations in the face. Another situation where it is happening in plain sight and they have a vote coming up where if they don't vote the right way, I mean, their credibility is probably already gone, let's be honest. But if they don't vote the right way, their credibility is dead forever. And that is Ruben Neves being loaned to Newcastle. (laughs) Let's be clear. Saudi Arabia owns all of the clubs that operate in Saudi Arabia. That's how that country works. Saudi Arabia owns Newcastle. 
They just do. You can say they don't. My opinion is you would be wrong because the Saudi PIF owns it, right? The public investment firm fund, whatever, owns it. And who you do you think controls it? Mm-hmm. You don't think Saudi Arabia played a friendly at St. James's Park recently just because it happened to be the best place for it? It was the best place for it. Best place for it. <laughs> um, you know, they noticed a lot of people wearing the, uh, wearing the, 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 the region, right? Yeah. And, and felt that it was, it was right. So what I would say is um, Saudi Arabia owns the clubs and Saudi Arabia owns Newcastle and Saudi Arabia acquiring a player for their league and then loaning it to one of their teams, loaning the player, not it, loaning him to one of their teams. Like it is it is a transaction between related parties and related parties is not a strong enough term. It simply cannot be permitted to happen. And if it does happen, it is the blueprint for everything that should be done from here on in. You just, I mean, Mbappe goes to Al-Etihad and gets loaned to Newcastle. I mean, it, why not? And it's good for the players because, yeah, if I'm Ruben Neves, you know what sounds like a great deal? Put me on a Saudi wage. Yeah, I'll take three fifty a week, and then let me go play in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. That's that's way better than having to take ninety a week at Newcastle, or even one twenty, or even one fifty, whatever they have to do to, to the veneer of adhering to FFP. You don't have to do that in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So I, you know, I just think this is one of those one of those litmus tests that we we talk about, you know, a a litmus test in terms of they may not punish Chelsea and they haven't punished City, but, you know, you do this, I feel like you're, you're, you're crossing a line, Tim, that just says, look, there are no rules. It is, it is absolutely a free-for-all because it's, it's so obviously crooked, you know? Yeah. It was interesting that Eddie Howe um, said that he didn't agree with this rule, um, you know, while we're talking about self-interest and tribalism and all of that, like this would just be a joke. And the thing is like Nevers, he went to Saudi Arabia in August. It's not even like he's been there two years or anything like this would be an absolutely naked, there was no intention of this happening any other way. This isn't just a thing that happened. Like, this is so blatant that it's clear that it's engineered from the very beginning. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, who who leaves a club four months after joining on loan? Um, like, you know, maybe a young player, like, but not not Ruben Neves. Like, no, that that absolutely cannot happen. And it, But it will be interesting to see how some clubs vote on this because one of the things that is apparently part of Ted Bowler's strategy at Chelsea, for example, is multi-club ownership um, and having partnerships and, and things like that. And that's all going to – like, what we're talking about here with the precise Neves-Newcastle thing is – absolutely just blatant like there's they're not even really trying to hide what they're doing but then but what you can do if you're a little bit cleverer like if you're um chelsea and you have i think was it lille or someone they've just signed like a partnership like to be fair lots of clubs have these like partnership Mm-hmm. Um, kind of agreements and therefore you get an agreement to like trade players like uh, we'll buy really good young talent and then we'll loan it to you like Manchester is like, City Is that like Tottenham's special relationship with Real Madrid where the relationship yeah. was that Real Madrid would take all their good players? <laughs> yeah, like, you can have them for two years and we'll just buy them off you yeah. Um, yeah, 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 like we'll get loads of young talent in but then you can have it for one or two years on loan like Vitesse and and all of that but Chelsea, as, as I understand it under Ted Bowley, really want to ramp that up and they really want to test the water on what multi-club ownership looks like and obviously man city do it they haven't really man city gone quite down the really extensive player trading 
Um, so like New York City, Melbourne City, and uh, they've got a club in Mumbai as well or something like that. Like that seems to be more of a commercial thing at the moment. Mm. And they do swap their coaches around some of yep. those some of those clubs and things like that. So, you know, th- this this could like the, like I said, the Newcastle thing is so blatant and so stupid. Like, of of course that shouldn't be allowed, and of course it will be farcical if it is. But it'll be interesting to see how the vote goes because it depends how far that measure goes. Does that then block those kind of relationships with other clubs? And I think we were exploring one with Sao Paulo, for example. I don't, I don't, I don't actually know if that ever came off. Um, or what that looks like but you know those kind of sometimes formal sometimes informal we had one with Beveren in Belgium uh, many years ago about 20 years ago as well we used to loan players to them so you know I guess it's how far does that rule go does it block those types of arrangements as well so that that will be really interesting to see but clearly Neves is just on the you know, picking up the ball in the centre circle, running to the penalty spot and throwing it into the top corner end of, um, let's say, cheating. Yeah, it, it's just like blatant cheating. And I, I I can't see how they let this happen and then try to suggest there are any rules at all. Now, ironically, again, one of those situations where our, my complaints could be dismissed as tribalism because news is broken that, we might be interested in loaning Ruben Neves. And to be clear, mm-hmm. that or, or buying him even, but to be clear, that would be a totally normal transaction yep. because it would be taking place at arm's length between two unrelated parties. Um, you know, if I sell my house to my wife, that is not a, an above board transaction. If I sell it to you, Tim, or, you know, to Bob, who I've never met, whatever, it, it is a, an above board transaction. Two moves totally different in in how we would review them. We got to talk Aaron Ramsdale. We got to talk transfers. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we're going to talk Aaron Ramsdale, l- the least I can do is share with you some brands that are going to be really important for your life and your well-being. I, I wouldn't be doing my job as someone who cares about you and says I love you if I don't do that. So I am going to do that now. And I hope you bear with me as once again, I have been given like a scroll of brands to read from today. But I'm going to do it fast because as you know, I can talk very fast. So <clears throat> we're going to start by getting you healthy and we're going to get you healthy by drinking AG1. And it just so happens that their URL is drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's all the good things. I started taking it for gut health. It's so easy to get into this habit. A little bit of it in water in the morning. It tastes good. It got me off the excess coffee I was drinking. I was drinking too much coffee. You probably see if you watch the video of this show, I already spilled some on my Uh, on my clothes because I'm not good at drinking coffee. So this has helped. Um, AG1 is designed by athletes with athletes in mind. So if you're trying to get into shape, it is great for recovery. I have also found that it was helpful for sleep. I don't know if I'm sleeping better, but I know I'm getting more restful at nighttime and able to uh, get into a sleep state more easily. Again, that's something that I've experienced with it. But what I can tell you is it is going to be able to replace your vitamin routine, which is mostly gummies and mostly you just... You know, it travels right through your body. You get a bunch of sugar. You don't get a bunch of benefits. So if a whole um, comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1. Now get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drinkag1.com slash vision. And this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I feel passionately uh, committed to 
the idea that everyone should try therapy. Trying therapy is one of the most important things I ever did in my life at a moment where I was stuck and I needed to get unstuck. And therapy was the way I did that. You have family, you have friends, hopefully you have people you can confide in. But professional therapists are there to help you work through the things that hold you back as a person, whether you're in crisis or hopefully not in crisis. Um, so why BetterHelp? BetterHelp is it's not online therapy, it's therapy. It just happens to be online. And that means you can uh, do it in less time because you don't have to leave the house and drive to a place and drive back. You can do it more easily. You can find a therapist that you connect to, even if they're thousands of miles away, right? These are licensed therapists. Um, you don't have the same cost, which by the way is important because unfortunately mental health can be quite uh, expensive to get help with. <clears throat> so you can do it with, <clears throat> excuse me, better help. Apologies for that. And, uh, you know, you can change therapists if you need to. You can even have the camera off if you're feeling shy. So it's up to you. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Vision. Oh, you rapscallions. You thought you got away without me today, but you did not. I deliver this beautiful pod unto you without me, but, but it wouldn't be an Arsenal Vision post-match podcast if we didn't take care of our community by offering you sensational brands that really want to be a part of your life. Obviously, that is a key service we provide, and I will remind you, it is a service we do not provide over on Patreon where you get ad-free episodes. But over here, where we are thrilled to have you, you get to benefit from the joy that is NordVPN. And I do want to let you know that NordVPN is celebrating Movember. Movember, of course, is a portmanteau between mustache and November. Now, they could have gone with no stash, but that wouldn't work because then you literally would grow no stash. So they went with Movember, where you grow out your facial hair and things like that uh, to promote men's health causes such as prostate cancer awareness and things of that nature. And they will be uh, doing all kinds of things to raise money and support the cause. And they will actually have an option in their app where you can donate one, five, 10 pounds to the charity. So remember to support the Movember cause uh, in support of men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer. Um, and of course, you can always contribute to Gooners versus Cancer, another great cause uh, by a great Gooner, Mike. Uh, now, as far as NordVPN goes, as a reminder, they are my VPN of choice, and I hope they will be yours as well, because all you do is you install an app on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet, and boom, you can instantly be browsing somewhere else. So when you want to watch Match of the Day to see the analysis of why exactly the player who took out a machete on the pitch and drove it through the heart of one of our players uh, should not have been sent off and why it was not a penalty. If you want to see that analysis, obviously you can. Um but you can also see things like videos back home when you're traveling away and videos away when you're not in that region. You can also get threat protection, all the great things. Uh, Nord is the best, and they have come with the best offer that they have provided to us. So if you want, you can get an exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. All you have to do is go to nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. They're giving you four bonus months for free, by the way, uh, which is extraordinary. I mean, that's literally a third of a year. Um, literally, you could watch whatever you want abroad for free, and James Madison still won't be back from injury. NordVPN.com slash Arsenal Vision. We're getting through it. Shopify. Shopify is the best place to build an e-commerce website. I built e-commerce websites on Shopify, and I can tell you, honestly, they not only make it simple, I think this is the key. If you're going to bother trying to sell anything online, the website has to look professional. If it doesn't look professional, people don't have confidence buying from you. But it's more than that. They help you sell on Facebook, uh, 
on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, on X, on Y and Z, all of them. They let you put videos in easily and images in easily. They help you build this so that you don't have to worry about the checkout process and the credit card processing and the, the shipping and the taxes. The key is that Shopify builds you a professional website that makes it easy to engage in e-commerce without having to deal with all the technical side of it that can be very difficult. So I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Shopify powers 10% of all the e-commerce in the United States. Think about that. That's pretty remarkable. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. And last but never least, if you are building a team, you need the best talent. And if you are building a business, the same is true. And Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Again, this is it is the most obvious thing in the world. You you could be on 30 websites writing 30 ads for, for jobs and reviewing 30 different websites worth of um, applicants, or you could just do it on one site. And with Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed US data. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. That seems like a pretty big deal. I like to pay for things I get, not things I don't get. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide. That's a lot. They use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Here we go. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job hosted Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 job credit now at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Terms of the how you need Indeed. Is that enough of that? Indeed. I think I got that done in under 20 minutes, which is a new <laughs> I promise we will push back on the number of ads we are asked to read in the future, but we must make our corporate masters happy. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So, uh, by the way, I should, this is a good time to mention, if you're on Patreon, you get an ad-free episode and all the other stuff. Just something to think about. Uh, and you never have to hear me say any of that nonsense again, or you can, you can come here and listen to it. I've had people say, I want it ad included version on patreon it's like what is happening in this world okay good times roll so uh tim srinath morali at sri the gooner on twitter mm-hmm. said more ramsdale stuff from podcast and his dad on a podcast surely this can't be good for anyone where do we go from here what do you think about dads on pods <laughs> and uh and ramsdale's dad on a pod in particular and by the way love to sophie from uh, gooner squad and yep. and just generally where we go from here, he's got to play against Brentford, presumably. Um, dad's kicking up a fuss. What do you think? Yeah, dad's on podcast as a dad on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, good point. Same, 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 same. I, I think it, it should never happen. <laughs> um, uh, particularly because uh, as as science shows us, the, the, the second you become a dad, your jokes become automatically incredibly unfunny. Um as for Aaron, that theory to the test many a time, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Um, as for Aaron Ramsdale's dad on a podcast, first of all, I think um, we have kind of, maybe not a duty, but we should say, I think a lot of it was taken very out of context. Um, a lot of it, and this is the thing about speaking on podcasts, the tone and intonation of your voice really matters when you're talking. It's like if, the manager's um, press conferences, right? What yep. you see in the text versus when you go back and watch the video, it's like 
two different press conferences. Exactly. Like, oh, did he say that with anger? Did he deliver it with a smile? Did Was there rising inflection in his voice? All of this stuff really matters in verbal communication. Like, I, I don't know if there's anyone out there who reads transcriptions of our podcasts, but like, it, it's probably not a great read. Obviously a brilliant listen, but obviously not a great read. But it's Basically, it's very easy to take that out of context. And I think a lot of it has been taken out of context. So, you know, when there's stuff like, um, you know, he's not happy about this situation, like, what are people expecting him to say? <laughs> yeah, Aaron loves this, man. He's been, do you know what? Secretly, he's really wanted three months off for quite a long time. <laughs> and uh, and he really just wants to sit on the bench and watch because he's such a fan. Like, what, like, what are you expecting <laughs> Rumsdale's dad to say? Like, and and it's one of those things where, you know, it it like you can slice it either way depending on the way you think. You can slice it as like because he could say, do you know what? No, he's fine with it. He's a professional. He's okay with it. And just as many people would say, oh, he's happy sitting on the bench. He loves it. Like, I want to hear that my players are pissed off that they're on the. They're not my players. Sorry, the players for the teams I support. I want to hear that they're not happy with being on the bench. I want to hear that. And I remember Aaron Ramsdale on a podcast last season. Do you remember that there's a brilliant clip where he's talking about Trossard and he said like, he said like Trossard's scary. He was like, Trossard has not come here to be a squad player. He wants someone's shirt kind of thing. And that and that's, that's what you want. And so I want to hear that my goalkeeper is pissed off because he's lost his place. Now, the way in which Aaron Ramsdale's dad actually delivers that in the podcast, he caveats all of that and says, you know, he's a professional. Obviously, he's working really hard. He understands the situation. Like, there's a whole load of context he gives to those comments and the way he delivers them that, frankly, a lot of the, shall we say, wider media have really, really pulled out of context. Um, and I think we should say that. As for... Now, you could say... His dad shouldn't go on a podcast because that's probably going to happen. And actually, this is a really contentious subject anyway. And, you know, we know it's driving a lot of uh, quote unquote media narrative. And yeah, I think maybe you could argue, should you really go on a podcast at the moment and talk about this? Because it's it's actually quite a sensitive kind of issue. Um, you know, may, maybe not personally, I, I don't really care that much because I think we make far too much of what's said. Um, and it's the same. I said it about like when the debate first kicked off around Raya and Ramsdale and people were kind of saying, uh, Arteta's created this problem for himself. He's created this discussion. I don't think Mikel Arteta gives a single shit about the discussion anything creates basically he cares about what it means on the pitch and you know what it means on the training ground okay and it could have bad impact on the training ground it could be that everyone really likes Aaron Ramsdale doesn't like this etc etc like that's what he has to take into account whether it ruins squad harmony what we're talking about on this podcast and what people are talking about in newspapers and on Sky Sports News I don't think Arteta cares I really really don't and I really to that point I don't think he consumes any of that stuff anyway um at all so you know we're talking almost at cross purposes sometimes so personally I don't really care but I, I can get on board with the argument that you know what 
maybe this isn't the time to come on a podcast, no matter what you say, really, about the situation. But, you know, like Aaron Ramsdale's dad is not employed by the club. It's not for the club's communications department. You know, the club's communication, like if Aaron Ramsdale gives an interview, like the club's communications department might be like, no, no interviews at the moment, my friend, because you work for us and we don't want to create. But, you know, Aaron Ramsdale's dad doesn't, he's, you know, He's not employed by Arsenal, so he can speak to whoever he wants. I think, um, you know, for Sophie and co, that's a brilliant get um, mm. for an interview. Um, do you know anyone's dad, Elliot, that we, <laughs> we could talk to? I, I know Ava's dad. I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> there you go. Like, she becomes a professional know. footballer, that's going to be handy. Yeah. Can, can we get David Raya's dad on, uh, perhaps, <laughs> and like really, or Kai Havertz's dad and really, you know, um, so like, you know, in short, it's kind of international break fodder as well for like the, the the quote unquote wider media. But yeah, in short, a lot of it taken out of context. Personally, I don't really care and don't think it matters. But I I wouldn't argue till I'm blue in the face with someone who said maybe don't give it. No matter how well meaning or what you say, maybe don't give these interviews at this moment in time. Yeah, I sort of fall into this category. First of all, a dad that you know feel strongly about his son and his son's career and his son's success like of I course um i think having this sort of circumspection and awareness to understand why it may not be the best to offer your opinion is helpful but he's you know it's it's a free country you know that he lives in and and he's entitled to express his opinion I think this is very different from a player or an, even an agent saying it, right? Yep. When an agent says something, they're angling for something. You need yep. to pay attention to that because the agent is, every utterance of an agent is a negotiation. When a player says it, obviously it's the player. You got to pay attention to what they're saying. And I think a player has to be more careful with their comments because they have responsibility as a member of the club and the team to guard what they say. For me, a parent, free swim. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, would I rather you, you don't talk? Pro probably. I don't know that it matters. Like, player's dad wants player to play, you know, <laughs> breaking news. You know, yeah. like, so I think it is much ado about nothing. I think to your point, good get for Sophie. Interesting interview. Sort of fun to hear about, but not particularly illuminating. If you really just zoom out, right, for a yep. minute and and say, okay, <laughs> what do I expect a father to say about a son? And, you know, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And, and to that point as well, I, I have in the past, like uh, on the women's team, I, I have known and maybe one or two players, like I know their parents and obviously any kind of, and, and you know, look, I'm, I'm not exactly on WhatsApp with them every day or anything like that. And again, that's more of a historical thing. Doesn't really happen as much now, but you know, I've had conversations with, uh, you know, like like friend, not not media, but like just friendly kind of conversations. And yet, of course, of course, it's like I want my daughter to play. I think my daughter should play every minute of every game, kind of thing. Mm. Like, of course, it is. Of course, it is that that you know that that's kind of what being a parent is. It reminds me of um, that. There's a there's a great. Uh, sketch uh, that Mitchell and Webb look people will know the kind of football's happening all of the time there's a there's a brilliant sketch where he does a best man speech 
and it's like it's a literal best man speech so he takes it obviously it's comedy sketch right so he takes issue with what the groom is saying and he's saying like i mean your wife's very attractive but she's not the most beautiful woman in the world is she like come on that's that's an exaggeration like the media would be here if that was true and uh and and the um the guy who plays the groom comes out with a wonderful line. He said, but that's what being in love is. It's being slightly deluded in each other's favor. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with being a parent, right? Well said. Yeah. Slightly deluded or, or in some cases, massively deluded in each other's favor. So <laughs> let's get on to a few transfer related questions that we got in. But before we do that, I want to ask you one because I think it's impossible. And I like watching you squirm. <laughs> this one comes from Lentine at Mysteria underscore 10 on Twitter. Rank these five in terms of potential and importance to the team. Mm-hmm. Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saliba, and Rice. Ooh. Um, Nearly okay. impossible to do this, but yeah. fire away. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so on all of those criteria. Let's do potential right? first. Potential. Okay. So, player, yeah. mm-hmm. potential. I'm going to go with Saliba at one just because it's very rare, I think, for a centre-half of 22 years old to be that good. I think wingers, forwards, that's that's a younger man's position. 22-year-old centre-half, wow. Um, so I'd put Saliba first. I think I'll put Martinelli second on potential just because I think, I think there's more to come from this player. Saka, I think that less. I think definitely there's more to come. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like with Saka, he's playing at his ceiling. I still have a hunch that Martinelli's not as close to his ceiling, so I put him second for potential. Uh, so Saka, Rice, I'll put Rice third on potential, just because I think he learns so quickly and he adds things to his game game all of the time, and because I think he effectively covers two positions. Uh, was it Erdegaard in there? Mm. Yeah, I, I'll put Erdegaard. F- no, I'm, I'm going to put Saka. Yeah, Erdegaard fourth. Sorry, I do think there is another. Again, I think he's closer to his actual ceiling, but consistent, like better consistency, is where he needs to go to be like on Ballon d'Or lists. Saka, I've put fifth for potential, not because I don't think he's got lots of potential, but I think he is somewhere near like the best that he can be at the moment. And I'm expecting a pretty natural trajectory from there. So that's potential. Mm. What was the other? All right, let me do potential. Then we'll do importance to the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So for me, in terms of potential, I'll go from least potential to most potential and saying it that way is intentionally being an idiot. Like obviously they all have immense potential. So really we're, you know, this is how many angels can fit on ahead of a pin stuff. Um, (laughs) I'll say fifth for potential is Martin Odegaard. I think last season's Martin Odegaard, he's one of the best players in the league. And if that's his level and he maintains it, I think it's as good as he can be. He will be 25 next month. So everyone tells us, and I'm not the, I'm not the person who decides this. Everyone tells us 25 is right in the heart of your prime as a midfielder or attacking midfielder. So I, I while it's, I'm not saying he can't get any better. I think if all he did was play at the level he played last season, that's the best you can ask really. And I think I would t- like, for example, if you said to me, Martin Odegaard will play at last season's level, but never get any better. Would you take it? I'd absolutely take it. So, yeah, yeah. so I'll put him fifth there. 
I'll put Rice at fourth for a similar reason, simply that Rice is turning 25 in January, also in his prime, and I think playing at a level that makes him one of the best central midfielders in the league, and I think that's roughly a ceiling. The reason I have him slightly ahead of Odegaard is this is the first time he's played in a team that plays actual football, and there may be a little more to come from him as he gets more comfortable playing that way. Um, you know, and moving into these different roles like the eight at times, we might see a little more come into his game than we've seen so far. Um, I'll put Saliba next because I think when it comes to center backing, there's only so good you can, like, what would a better Saliba look like? You know what I mean? Like he currently Mm -hmm. chases everyone down, blocks out the light, passes a hundred times a game at 98%, is immensely good with it. Like the only thing left is probably score a little more from set pieces, which he just did at the weekend, by the way. I don't know that center backs can get much better than where he is right now. And if he did, would you notice? Whereas with Mm -hmm. attacking players, yeah, they can go from 18 goals a season to 40. You know what I mean? You notice that. (laughs) So I'll say Saliba next only because I'm just not sure there's much more room. Then it's Saka and Martinelli. I would have once upon a time put Martinelli ahead of Saka in that. I'm going to go Martinelli below Saka there because... I'm starting to think that Martinelli is always going to be somewhat inconsistent. Technically, I think there are things in his game like dribbling with his head down and maybe not always picking out the right final ball that maybe are just a product of how he plays. I think the other thing that we're maybe doing him no favors on, we've asked him to hold the width and be the touchline winger while Mark, while Sack is the one who gets to come into the box. I'd love to see Martinelli at center forward more just because, you know what? I'd love to see Martinelli in the box more. I think a Martinelli who gets more opportunities to shoot and gets closer to goal is a Martinelli that would really help. I also think an eight that knows how to play that ball between the center back and fullback and play in that guy would help. Right now, Martinelli is playing a game where he's up against two wide players out on the touchline, two defenders, I should say, and he's only going to do so much from there. I have Saka slightly ahead because I think his game is more well-rounded, and as a result, you know, as young as he is, with so many skills... The, he has the ability, as those skills improve, to just become one of the most well-rounded, best players in the game. He's already close there. The, they're all very, very close. Head of a pin stuff. So now mm-hmm. we get to what I think is arguably the harder one, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those five, rank them. I'd say reverse order, personally. I think that's more exciting, um, yep. more suspenseful, in terms of their importance to the team. Yeah. So on this... Can I, can I just clarify yeah, one sure. thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say importance to the team this season. So not forever, just this season, importance to the team. I was going to say there's going to be a bit of recency bias and also particularly in midfield, things are moving around and we don't really know what they're going to look like in a year. So fifth at the moment, again, recency bias governs this a little bit and maybe I'd change my opinion if we'd been without him for like three or four months. I'll say Erdegaard just because I think there are other players in the squad that can come into that position, not do it as well. But if we lost Erdegaard for three months, Havertz can play there, Vieira can play there, Smith Rowe can potentially play there. We've just got more depth in that position, basically. Yep. Fourth, I'm going to say Martinelli at the moment. Um, and that's not a bad fourth, really. It's just he, he's a really, really good player. I think he'll get better. This is just where he is at the moment. And I think if and when Arsenal buy another wide player, and I do think there are more wide players on the market as well, I think there's less scarcity there. 
Third, I'm going to go Declan Rice. And at the moment, that is because the midfield is changing and we're kind of overburdening him at the moment because we haven't sorted the left eight piece out. So he's flitting between those two roles and he's so good. He can play both of them brilliantly. And that's really helping us out at the moment. And he is, he's probably doing a bit more than I'd like at the moment, but it's kind of needs must. So he's third. I hope in a year I can put him more fourth or fifth. Um, this is this to me is like much of a muchness there. To me, the Saka Saliba conversation is is a is a much bigger one. I at the moment I will say Saliba second again, just because we do have more depth in that position. If Rob Holding was the actual backup to Saliba, I'd put Saliba first. But it, it's not. I mean, it wasn't last season really. It's just there were other injuries, so. Yeah, losing Saliba would be an enormous blow. But Tommy Asu, we've got Kivior now, um, Timber when he's back. Like there's just there's a bit more resilience in that position. None of them are as good as Saliba. That's just the way it is. He might be like he's genuinely got a shout for best centre back in the world at the moment. I think he's he's coming very fast into that kind of company. I'm going to say Saka. Just because, first of all, again, I'm not sure we have the resilience in that position at the moment. Um, and you can see it in our squad build. So what happened last, like Thomas Partey used to be one of our most important players. And we got to a stage where we said we can't have Sambi Lukonga or Elneny as his backup because he's not available often enough. So we have to go and buy Jorginho because we need a better quality, more reliable quality of backup. We haven't done that with Saka because to this point, he has been mega resilient and that hasn't come up. If he started missing 10 league games a season, I'm pretty sure we'd spend 50, 60 million on someone who can play in that position. Um, But the reason I'll put him as well is I'll draw an analogy to the women's team who lost Beth Mead last season to an ACL injury. And that was enormously disruptive, not just because she is world-class and puts up, you know, double figures, goals and assists every year. Arsenal didn't have another player like that in their squad. And I saw what that looked like when they had to start putting ill-fitting pieces or learning how to play with different types of player. And and it was hard and it took quite a while, which is why I'd put Saka as the most valuable player on a long-term basis at the moment. But if someone put Saliba first, again, wouldn't really argue with them. Yeah, I like that ranking. I'll give mine quickly because I think I'm pretty clear on this five as Odegaard merely because we've been without him and I think we're holding steady. Again, none of these players would be good to be without, right? Mm. That's the, the caveat. That's the We'll stipulate to the fact that we're worse without any of these players. I put Odegaard... Mm, ooh, this is tough, actually. I, I might change this. I'm, I might put Martinelli fifth only because I think our best non-starter, in quotes, is Trossard. Yeah. And I think if Martinelli's out and Trossard comes in, we can we can be okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I'd probably say Odegaard because we've seen how that's not ideal and where that impacts us both in terms of goals he scores and goals he creates. Then I'm going to go Saka because I think Bakayo Saka is potentially our, our most important player. But again, if Gabriel Jesus is fit, I think we've seen, as we did against Manchester City, you can play without Saka with Jesus wide and win a big game. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to go Declan Rice because we can't rely on party and absent party. I don't see how the midfield works if there's no Rice in it. Um, I just don't. And then I'll go Saliba 
because while I do agree we're deeper and you can bring Tomiyasu in or you can bring Kibior in, Saliba enables this whole thing. Every game, there's at least one moment where Saliba does something incredible that prevents a goal. But also, he is our first or second passer in every game. And these aren't just horizontal passes or progressive passes. What we saw with holding is something I think we'd see without Saliba, which is the line drops a few yards deeper. We're a little bit closer to our goal. We struggle a little bit with progression. We struggle to control games. I just think right now, he's the player we would be most vulnerable to being without. But again, uh, certainly willing to view any anyone else's rankings of these things. Let's jump to a couple of quick hitters, and then I want to do one thing on transfers, and we'll get out of here. That sound good to you, Tim? Yep. Um, quick one. If it was possible, would you take Shaka back on loan for six months in January? No. No. Move on. Like We, we need to work that out, and bringing him back and playing for six months just delays the inevitable, so no. Another quick one is Saka playing at left eight and buying a winger, what we should actually do. I I think there's a world, there's an alternate universe somewhere where Bukayo Saka is currently our left eight, maybe in a world where the Nicola Pepe transfer actually works. Um, I like. I don't think at this stage we should do that just because we're so geared to Saka playing on the run. Like, it puts him close to the goal and et cetera. I, I think it would be like too much change. And I don't think we'd be able to get a winger as good as Saka anyway. Um, I, I think we, like, I, I don't think it would be bad, but I wouldn't do it. 1.76 Acres asks, in retrospect, how lucky was Jorginho not to be carded for hitting Bruno's <laughs> forearm with his head? Very, very lucky, clearly. Um, here's another Interesting, quick one. This is Newfie AFC at Newfie AFC. What role will Timber play when he is fully fit? Can Arteta keep Timber, White, Zinni, and Tommy happy? Or will one of our fullbacks change roles in the squad or be sold? Yeah, it seems unlikely that all of those defenders are going to be happy um, at Arsenal. It'd be really interesting to see which one we lose. I mean, f- for me, if Timber's fit, I'm not really sure where Tommy Asu is playing, but Tommy Asu has now forced his way in. in. So I, I'm really, maybe it, maybe it's a recognition that Tommy Asu at right back is nowhere near as good as Tommy Asu at left back. And maybe Timbers are like Ben White alternative. Um, maybe, but yeah, I, I find that question quite interesting as well. I, I'm going to say, I think that Timber would have ended up as our like alternate right back and maybe Ben White and Zinchenko. Maybe the plan was always that Ben White and Zinchenko don't play as many minutes as they did last year. Cause they both look cooked by the end of the season. I love him to death, but maybe there is something to Gabriel having wanted out this summer and we, yeah, understand that he's the guy that maybe isn't long for the club. I hope that's not the case because I think Gabriel and Saliba as a duo could be the best duo for years to come, but you know, you can't keep everybody happy. That is clear. Uh, Here's a tough one from James Morgan at Mullet Rider. A year from now, do you think we'll see Havertz as a good signing? Had to get a question, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks for that, James. I, I'm going to stick with my prediction from a couple of weeks ago, which is that he'll never be worth the money, but he will be worth something to the squad. So I made the Sylvain Wiltord comparison. Uh, not worth breaking our club transfer record for, but actually we found a couple of roles for him, neither of which he was first choice for, but he turned out to be a very useful player. That's that's where I think we'll go with Havertz. And so then it's just a question of whether that 
that was a good spend of money and the spend of money could have been somewhere else. So I'm going to say useful player, not worth the money, and we'll probably always debate whether we could have used that money better. Yep. Going to give you a couple sort of quick hitter transfer ones here. Um, FK on Twitter says, name your guilty pleasure signing, someone who we'd least expect. I'll go first. Scott McTominay, (laughs) sincerely. Assuming Scott McTominay is not your guilty pleasure signing, do you have a guilty pleasure signing you would go for? Just because um, it will take me ages to think something else, I'm going to say Mudrick. Um, I think there is a world in which Mudrick comes to Arsenal and he's playing in a functional team where he's asked to be that Martinelli player. And to your point earlier with Martinelli, it's not really about accuracy, it's about volume. He's a volume player. Try and beat your fullback six, seven times. And if you beat him once, we're going to get a goal scoring opportunity. And I think perhaps not being under that kind of pressure to be the main man. Again, like, do you want to spend 80 million on that player? I don't know. I've just got a feeling that Mudrick at Arsenal, where we could have also just bled him in a little bit more slowly um, and not in the chaos at Chelsea, I, I think that would have been a really interesting move. Like Mudrick is a bit of a super sub in a functioning team with a functioning attack. I think that could have been... I, I'm, I'm at least very curious as to how that worked out in some parallel universe somewhere. I'm going to go completely off the board because that's the point of this question, right? Not to go with someone obvious. Cause I mean, there, there, there are some obvious ones I think you pick, but I'll go off the board. First of all, I'll disagree with the Mudrick thing. I think he's trash just so I can get that opinion on the record again, in case anyone forgot, I thought that I'll say Adama Traore because okay. I'd love to see, you know, especially in games it's late or struggling. They're, they're in a deep block that chaos agent, like, the one thing we know about Adama Traore is he cannot be stopped when he dribbles. He, he literally can't. You either have to foul him or he's by you. And the only saving grace is he just never gets the final ball right. Yeah. So maybe this is a I can fix him kind of thing. But like <laughs> With the number of guys we get in the box and the proximity we get to the box, someone with body oil all over him, baby oil all over his body, charging into the box, beating a couple of men and either getting hacked down so we get more set pieces, which we're quite good at, or just firing the ball into a box full of players and hoping for the best. Like, you know, that that's the thing. I think what you want late in games, especially if you need a goal, is a little more chaos. And we have very little chaos. We're very well organized. So a player who's going to beat men and then you don't know what's going to happen next could be exciting, but probably more frustrating. Yeah, I, I kind of think that's part of the intention of Havertz, like pushing him up front for the last 20 minutes and having a... I, I mean, I'll tell you who used to be my guilty pleasure signing was uh, Fellaini, for very, very similar reasons, which are if you smash a long ball at Fellaini, your defender is not winning it. It is as simple as that, like is not winning it. Like he will win every single header and there are stages and there are parts of games where that is really really useful so i always like not even secretly i kind of expressed it like i always thought like you know people talked about Giroud as that plan b player i always thought fellaini like i'd love to i I wouldn't like to actually play him or start him but 15 minutes to go it's the same mindset which is a player with a superpower right a player who has a thing that like fellaini wasn't a great player Mm-hmm. But you couldn't win an aerial duel against him, period. 
He hmm. would win them all. And while you can't have that for 90 minutes, you can't have a player who offers very little but can do that for 90 minutes. You can have it for 10 or 15 late. Exactly. Same kind of thing with Adama Traore, right? That is not a player you can play your football with for 90 minutes. But is it a player you can play for 10 minutes to cre create enough chaos to open the door a little bit? And those kind of players are always interesting to me. A player who stinks on the whole <laughs> but has a thing they do so you know how and anytime you see a data chart, right? Any charts, like a data visualization, for the last 10 years, Messi would be like upper right corner of the chart, nowhere near anyone else in everything. Hmm. The only chart I've ever seen where someone was ahead of Messi at anything or even near him was dribbles. Adama Traore was hanging the hell out there in that upper right corner thing for dribbles. And so when you have that kind of superpower, I think it makes you interesting to see if there's a very highly specialized role you can play um, yep. in that situation. So, and it's interesting because if you think about it, there are other sports where specialists play a role, right? Teams have a yep. specialist at something. Football hasn't really embraced the specialist. Not really, right? Someone who's not really good. I mean, the funny thing is the only specialists are like goalkeepers are specialists in a way. And even that is being eliminated as they're becoming more well-rounded footballers. But I, I think it is still interesting to have a specialist in your on your bench who you say, aha, for this situation, I need this skill set. And then yep. you've got the Liam Neeson and Taken thing. I have a specific set of skills. Uh, okay, <laughs> last, 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 last one. Josh Lang at Josh Fred Lang asks, what positions are most important to sign in January? What about the academy? Can they play a depth role? Let's just do a quick January thing here. Um, I think a lot of people think strikers on the agenda because we've been linked with Tony. There's also some potential that that's just agent talk. I think there's some question about what we do in midfield given parties on availability. Mm -hmm. Those are the positions I think most people have their eye on. Is that what you have your eye on? What do we need to do in January, if anything? And can, and can the academy play a role? Yeah, I, d I don't know as much about the academy. Like that, you know, there seem to be players like Raw Waters, um, is it Lewis Skelly and Nuanieri. I don't really know how close they are, but they seem to be the ones who are spoken about as well. And Sago Junior actually played. Sago right? Junior, yeah, yeah, and and of course there's Charlie Patino out on loan. I, I kind of think an impressive it's gone for him. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, but um, I, yeah, I I, I can't I. To duck the question, I cannot make my mind up between midfield and forward. I guess I would say midfield just because for forward, I think we have to shift a player before we bring one in. And my hypothesis is you either shift Nelson and buy a winger or you shift Nketiah and buy another striker. Whereas in midfield, because we've got like Jorginho and Partey there, good chance neither of them are, are at the club next season. Um, there's perhaps less and Elneny won't be at the club next season Sambi won't be like there's more going out of the door there whereas up front I think we kind of have to push someone out the door so I guess I'd say midfield yeah uh I mean then here's the good thing here's where we we have a little bit of I think an opportunity theoretically Jesus is fit he plays a tiny bit for Brazil he comes back late November and we get, there's a lot of games between now and the end of the year. Ideally, we get to see Jesus play most of them. Mm. And it leaves us in a position in January where we can decide, you know, Trissard's done okay at center forward and Keddy has been usable, depending on who you ask, and Jesus is fit. We may feel by December 31st that actually things are going pretty well at center forward. Um, 
and that it's we're really, really lucky <clears throat> with when he's coming back. Because let's say Jesus was set to come back like January 20th or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, You'd yeah. be in a tough spot where you'd be like, what shape is he going to be in? Will he integrate right away? Will he be able to stay fit? I think we'll be able to get a better read. So how we feel about Stryker in January is going to be very different than how we feel about it now. Midfield ain't changing much because even if Party comes back before the new year, he's probably off to the AFCON. And you have to assume that when he comes back from that, there's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. In him. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I hate to say this, but really the answer would be, could Kai Havertz just play a little better? <clears throat> could Odegaard come back and, and be himself? Like the funny thing is there's a world where I don't think we need any signings in January. Because if you ask me, how do we win a title and how do we win a Champions League? I don't think it's with a signing we get in January. I think it's by our best players being fit. Mm. You know, I don't know that there's anyone we're going to sign in January that wins us either of those things if our best players aren't fit. Like if Party never comes back and play, because let's be honest, Thomas Party, when fit, might be the best midfielder in the Premier League ahead of Rice and Rodri. He's that good. It gives me no pleasure to say it because I'd, I'd prefer it not be the case because he's never available. <clears throat> but at his best, he might be. So the idea we're going to buy a guy that, that replaces that, I think, is nonsense. We're not. The best thing we could get is a fit party. And the best thing we could probably get at center forward is a fit Jesus. Mm. Like, for example, if you said, I can hand you a fit party and a fit Jesus to play every game remaining when they come back, or you can have any two signings you want in the market, I'd take the former because yeah, yeah. I trust the talent we have. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd lean midfield because I think Jesus coming back now gives us a chance to probably feel a little better about that position. I, I think like a Ruben Neves deal would actually probably be a really good one if we can pull it off instead mm -hmm. of the obvious outcome, which is that he's going to go to Newcastle and the Premier League is going to shrug their shoulders. You feel similarly though, Tim, that like, mm -hmm. like if I could offer you the quote, the fabled full fitness for the rest of the season, suddenly I don't know that I think there's a signing. We, I, I guess my, a better way to say it, I don't know that I see a weakness in our squad if we're fit. Yeah. But that's obviously a big ask because Arsenal never seems to be. And I realize it's not just Arsenal. There are other clubs dealing with a lot of fitness issues. This goes back to our FIFA conversation. FIFA wants more games. The leagues want more games. It's not sustainable. UEFA wants more games. But setting it aside, would you go for fitness over signings if you had the option yeah. of the two? Yeah, definitely. And particularly like those players, because really, other than maybe the left eight position with, with Havertz, but I mean, if Partey's fit, that becomes less of an issue anyway, because then you've got Partey and Rice. So, and obviously all like the cohesion is there already. So, and like when you sign a player in January, you, you know, you, you, may, you may not, you may not get them at their better. Like we were lucky with someone like Trossard, for example. Um, but even he was like, not really quite a first 11 player that the players we have issues with, I think largely are players beneath the first 11. So like maybe in maybe Nelson, maybe Smith Rowe, but like the era. Yeah. yeah. Maybe via like, but none of those got like Havertz is the only starting player. And if Partey's fit, he's probably not a starting, certainly not at the moment, a starting player that we have like a proper concern about. Maybe goalkeeper um, as well, depending on how you feel about that. So I, I would absolutely take that. Yep. Okay, let's leave it there. I think that's a good place to stop for a for a interlull pod. <clears throat> how about this? Power rankings, data review, Elliot versus Paul, main pod, big questions, scouting videos, main pod, 
and we're back to Premier League. If you sign up for our Patreon, we got something for you every single day to get you through this interminable interlull. We'd love to have you over there. But we are, as I always emphasize, just thrilled to have you here or wherever you listen. Genuinely. Uh, love you for that. So Tim's on Twitter. Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Timothy Bachman, Twitter, Inc. Gunner, we love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brentford, no. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.